and welcome to CryptoMind. I'm Ryan Olke. This is Vincent Horn, and we're here to explore crypto from the inside out. Good opening music there. Yeah, I like the electronic beats. So what the fuck is crypto mind? Well, yeah, that's what this episode's about, right? So I guess you want to start with a little bit about us real fast before we get into the whole big overview here? Yeah, maybe people should at least know who the heck they're listening to. You know, yeah, I know we have a huge crypto following on Facebook with our... 10 friends, but yeah. So I'm Ryan Olke. I am the author of Cryptocurrency for Newbies, which is a book I just wrote this summer to help people get into the crypto space. And I'm also the founder and CEO of Power Up Productions. And I also started a podcast with you way back in the day, Buddhist Geeks, which you're still at the helm for. Yeah, that's right. Um, Buddhist Geeks podcaster. Uh, My name is Vincent Horn, as I said in the intro. And uh, let's see, what else? Um, I'm also a meditation teacher and a geek. And I've been um, into the crypto space for the last several years. And my good buddy Ryan's pulled me even further into it, which is why we're doing this episode. (laughs) Yeah, we're doing a kind of a a baton race here because you told me about cryptocurrency uh, quite a long time ago, at least in the crypto space, like five years ago. And so you told me about it first, but I didn't get f- as involved until recently, but then I broke you back in. That's great. <laughs> so we Thanks are enabling each other. <laughs> it's good friends to you. Yeah, exactly. Cool. So let's talk a little bit about why we're doing the show and kind of what we're looking to explore. Um, and, you know, I guess we'll just go back and forth here a little bit. Um, Partly that's the nature of this episode is because this whole space is so brand new that I think everybody's finding their way in cryptocurrency and what does it what does it mean? What is it? How's it impacting us in all kinds of ways? So partly that's natural for us to do this organically rather than have a set amount of things we're gonna say. But um, as you and I discussed, uh, there's a lot of conversation about cryptocurrency from the technology standpoint, like what it's actually doing. So like Bitcoin's blockchain and, you know, doing transactions. And then everybody's talking, especially about the financial implications. So as people invest or looking and finding out that they can get potentially nice returns on their investments. So these are things that people are talking a lot about. Um, they're talking also a little bit about uh, systemic implications. So what does decentralization mean? Um, but a lot of those conversations, at least what I've heard, are, you know, just scratching the surface and, you know, kind of dealing with a lot of assumptions. So I think we're looking to explore in this podcast um, some other perspectives that haven't really been um, delved into as as much. And that's the sort of inside space, the inner part of cryptocurrency, at least to yeah, mention mind, one of those. The mind part, too. That's where the, the term yeah. mind kind of points to the inner the inner experience of something. Yeah, totally. I like the, you know, pat ourselves on the back for that name, but, <laughs> you know, I, I like that name because it really does indicate that we're going in a little bit of a different direction here. And for me, I think it's interesting to explore these other spaces because, for example, how do we, you know, identify 
uh, with cryptocurrency? What does that mean for our relationships and um, how we're showing up in the world? And how does that influence what we make in cryptocurrency rather than just talking, looking at the technology and, and running with it? It's like we're not talking about all the perspectives that might matter here. So I like the, the name CryptoMind to push us in that direction. Yeah, one thing I didn't mention, which I should have in the intro about my background, is I'm also advising a cryptocurrency oh, yeah. startup called Lotus Network that's trying to yeah. bring Buddhist Buddhist practice onto the blockchain. And so for me, part of this conversation is also to kind of think through different implications for um, real-world projects like that that I may have yeah. seen. Totally, and that's a project... Um, you know, I don't, we want to get on too much of a side tangent here, or maybe we will. But, um, that project is really interesting because it's, it's dealing with multiple dimensions and perspectives. It's not simply about say, um, improving transactions. You know, your, that project is about how to create a system of course, but it's also dealing and tying into how people are relating to each other from, you know, student to teachers and kind of a meditation Buddhist environment. So there's a lot to discuss there. Yeah. And how does this whole new emerging world of programmable crypto tokens and micro economies play into how people might design these kind of virtual systems or ecosystems. Yeah. Yeah. Why are we doing this? Yeah. That's why are we doing this? I mean, right now it seems like most people are doing it to make money, which um, yeah. obviously there's going to be a lot of value and wealth generated in the space. Right. right. But it's like, well, value and wealth for what? Yeah, totally. And you know, we talk about the the word cryptocurrency being in the end, it's kind of like a really poor word to use, but you know, it's a, it was a fine first start, especially given that Bitcoin was the first cryptocurrency. It matches that word a little bit more closely, but you have the currency part of the word, which just indicates money. And a lot of these cryptocurrencies are not about money. They do have a, you know, maybe some sort of token or coin that goes with it. That's connected to some sort of value or utility in the network, but it's not necessarily just about money. Um, and then you have the crypto part, which, um, comes from the, the, the security aspect of things, security and privacy, um, which is an important part. It seems that's seeming to carry through most of the cryptocurrencies, but it's not necessarily even the main focus. Some of them are really focused on security, um, and, and privacy almost exclusively. But so this word cryptocurrency, we might think that these, these are the only two things that matter people are talking about. Um, but that's just not the case. And then you can use a word like blockchain, which some listeners may not even know what blockchain means. Um, in which but, case you need to check out crypto for newbies. Yeah. In, this, in <laughs> which case, buy my book and give me some crypto. No, but seriously, you <laughs> buy the book. Um, <laughs> the, but you know, the blockchain, yeah. And a lot of the currencies are, are I mean, some of them are, are, are using blockchain or some version of that, like Bitcoin, but some are exploring something totally new, like IOTA. It's using something called the Tangle. So it's kind of funny to have these conversations, having a much larger, bigger, more inclusive and deeper exploration when you're the when your starting point is so narrow, um, like the word cryptocurrency. Yeah, so maybe we could step back and talk about the big picture. Yeah. Like what's this crypto movement seems to be about and why yeah. why it's even interesting to talk about the inner dimensions of it. Totally. And so, you know, the things we just mentioned so far, I think they're all really important. It's just that we're not hammering on that in this show, you know, so like talking about the tech side of things is really important. It's a big part of the conversation, but a lot of people are doing that. So, you know, not a lot of people are doing this. 
and maybe it's interesting if we just talk a little bit, like, I know we have a little list of things where, of, of perspectives that we might explore here and maybe we can just kind of list some of these off. Do it. Um, so for me, um, one thing that's been coming up recently just intuitively is the sense of identity and what that means. So it's like, what does it mean that I am a part of a network or part of multiple networks that are par- connecting with each other? What's that mean for me as an individual and, and how I see myself in the world? I'm, and I say intuitively because I'm not even sure I'm articulating the question, <laughs> uh, you know, to an accurate degree. But um, usually we're just looking at like, how, how can I be, participate in this network? But what does it mean that I'm participating in the network? What are the implications of that? Mm-hmm. So that's one. And then also how we're relating to each other in those networks. And how does that change how we relate to each other and how we see each other? Yeah, because we've been, I mean, the social network experiment's been going on for what, like at least a decade now in terms of yeah myspace facebook twitter all of these tools good point connect good point and we can it's been those have been around long enough we've all been a part of it for long enough that we know that those have had a major impact on how we relate to each other you know and how i mean there's all kinds of stuff out with mindfulness and meditation surrounding social media and social networking and so this might be a whole nother shift and a whole nother kind of network experience Great. Um, and then you had another question here. What is it like to become more and more a part of networks, which are inside of networks or nested in other networks? Yeah. I mean, and that's kind of like hat tip to you. Um, oh yeah. And because you had, uh, you're, you're reading a, a book on the philosophy of networks. Networkologies. And, uh, yeah. And I want to pick up that book, but there, I just have some sense that this is like an, uh, I don't know if it's exponential is the right word. It's just something that's like of a new, of another order. Like to me to be a part of Facebook feels like a nice contained sort of idea of a network. Like I'm part of this network. It's very simple in a certain way, but I feel like the the complexity, the order of complexity that's emerging with all these cryptocurrency networks is kind of mind blowing. So yeah. Yeah. And what's yeah. kind of interesting about this point too, is like, it's not that we're, part of a single network, which maybe right. is a better description right. of how our early human ancestors were like. They were mm. part of one or maybe two networks of, of people, groups. Mm-hmm. But we're now in this sort of weird hyper-connected age where we're part of a multitude of different networks. And some of them overlap and some of them don't. Um, and they're often you know, focused on particular areas of interest, um, yeah. friend group or particular hobbies or things that you know, things that are part of our identity to go back to your first point you know, things that yeah. we find important and consider part of who we are and so we're mm-hmm. we're sort of like we're these ne- increasingly networked creatures who exist yeah. across all these different networks that aren't necessarily even um, connected or intersecting so what does that yeah. mean about who we are today and and how these yeah. this push to me, the whole crypto movement push is a push toward networkizing more. Mm-hmm. Yes. Um, it's like pushing the network logic through more things. Yeah. And so how, you know, what, what are the implications of that for ourselves to become networked? Totally. Yeah. And how are we responding, you know, to that? And then how are we influencing the creation of these multitude of networks? And I personally feel like there is some sort of like, um, it feels like exciting and disruptive at the same time when I look at 
out into the world and seeing how everybody and we are dealing with being part of a network. So like, you know, looking at globalization, it seems like there's less of a choice to part of it. Like, you know, if we go back in time, like you mentioned about like how we, what networks we were a part of all by default, or maybe now we, we, you know, we're choosing like, Oh, I'll choose to be part of Facebook. I'll choose to be part of Twitter. But it's seeming like there's just less of a choice. Like we are thrust into being part of the uh, networks and part of networks and, you know, yeah. Yeah. I mean, we're human beings and we need to be connected to other human beings yeah. just to be sane in a certain way. Right. Right. <laughs> right. Um, right. It's, it's uh, hard, hard not to. And, and even, well, it's funny too. We could have a conversation perhaps at some point about, you know, the choice not to be in a network is also a way people define themselves. Yeah, yeah I'm totally. Not on Facebook or I'm not on Twitter. Or I'm not, you know, going to be a Bitcoin person. Yes. Um, yes. So there's, right. that's another interesting thing of, part of our identity in the world in the age of networks is shaped by the networks yeah. we choose not to be part of or participate in. Totally. And that's a big deal in the cryptocurrency because there it's uh, a lot of the projects are wanting to give people more choice around their networks and um, more stake in the networks they're a part of. So they feel much more um, vested in it. Yeah. And that, that's, that seems like a huge point, you know, for people, if they haven't really had a chance to think much about this or study much about the crypto networks and the way that tokens and value is distributed. That seems like such a huge deal. Cause I remember, you know, Kickstarter came onto the scene several years ago. And do you remember when they, uh, kickstarted Oculus Rift kickstarted the, their first development kit, the first yeah. kind of wearable thing. And I right. forget how much they raised, we should probably look it up here, but it was an insane, amount it was the biggest kickstarter up to that point oh yeah and so many people the early early adopters the developers of the network basically got on there and purchased you know for whatever three hundred dollars three fifty one of these development kits and then of course like a year later oculus rift is bought by facebook for what was it like two billion uh, something like that uh, two billion dollars yeah. right right and all of these developers the people that had essentially kickstarted yeah. this whole thing and we're building right. the software on top of the network what did what yeah. part of the value of that transaction did they own um yeah zero <laughs> yeah totally yeah i say on here kickstarter uh, it was almost 2.5 million um at least that's what it says as of today um so yeah it was a lot of money people dumped in yeah 2.5 million they invested in you could say like the original um, like if this were a crypto thing, it would be like the initial coin offering was 2.5 million and then yep. it turns around and is sold to Facebook for 2 billion. Um, yeah. not that long later and all that value and all the growth of that value goes where, like it goes just into the very top of the network. Yep, exactly. Yeah. And that brings up the conversations about, you know, economy and wealth distribution and things like that. Um, and it's, it's interesting because I know like when people are looking at the cryptocurrency space, we're seeing some things repeat where it definitely seems like uh, there are some minority people who own a lot of the, the space, you know, in terms of money. Um, but at the same time, it opens it up to a lot more participation in, and for everybody who's who's uh, contributing, whether through um, through their, their money or through actions, you know, and that seems to be a, a nice move forward. Yeah, in a way, if, if it feels like you know, if we're tribal beings in some way, and we, like, we do, we do derive our sense of identity from what we participate in and who we're connected to, our networks, 
then yeah. in a way it feels like these crypto networks are in a, in a in a way are like a more honest reflection of that. Yes, right. And they sort of incentivize belonging to networks in more direct and obvious ways as opposed to, um, you know, networks where you belong but not really because you're being taken advantage of by the owners of the network. Yeah. Which is totally. kind of the state of affairs today, you know, with many of these. Yep, yep. Facebook. Twitter, et cetera. I mean, they're, they're really, they really just own all of our data and profit off of our participation in the networks. Right. And people are starting to get hip to that, that that's, that, that they're not, that's not, like, cool. not cool. <laughs> not cool anymore. Yeah, it's not cool. We, we, unfortunately, we're still tied into those networks because they provide such an important and valuable function to us. So we can't really leave them yet. Um, but, yeah. but that's another part of what's exciting to me about this crypto um, this crypto wave that we're that we're riding now, because it seems like where it's heading. Um, this is getting a little more into the particulars, but where it's heading is, yep. is toward decentralized apps, sometimes called D apps, that mm-hmm. could could build the same kind of functionality as a as a Facebook, but it be distributed right. and decentralized, or or even new kinds of social um, networks that haven't been you know considered before. where people you know actually can own their own data can have control again over the patterns that make them them Mm -hmm. um i remember when my wife got pregnant and she hadn't told anyone and we were and she was on facebook and based on her activities on facebook or her web activities or whatever they were tracking she was starting to get ads pregnancy ads so facebook Uh, knew she was pregnant before even the closest people in our families (laughs) knew she was pregnant oh man something about that is profoundly disturbing from a just yeah yeah well part of that's an important part of who we are in our life story and why should facebook have that information anyone who has access to facebook or can hack facebook have that information before like our you know our parents have it (laughs) Right. Yeah. There doesn't seem to be any choice about that or, you know, to, to avoid that you either can't use the network at all, or you have to go through a bunch of like crazy, you know, tech things in order to make sure that Facebook can't yeah, do and that. And I can barely, which, you know, barely and, encourage her yeah. to keep her, you know, her software up to date, <laughs> let alone <laughs> yeah. doing Tor right, and right. VPN stuff. Yeah. Yep. Yep. But it's, it's, you're right. I mean, they, they got a pretty firm grip on us, but it's, it's funny to see how many people will complain about Facebook, but they do it on Facebook <laughs> and then they keep using totally. it. So it, it, it's, it's, you know, it's, we're pretty ingrained in the network. Yeah. It's hard to, hard to leave it, but the cryptocurrencies are exploring ways to new ways and new options for us to get out of that. Yeah. At least that's how it feels now. Something new. Yeah. It feels like that now. Yeah. And that, I think that's why this show is such a good, the timing is so good because it, you know, it really feels like to me how it did in the early web days, you know, when yeah. the web was first starting. And also, you know, I'd say like two in the the beginning of the web 2.0 days where all these new services and new networks and new new ways of connecting started to come about. Like in both of those times, it felt like there was this fresh, open mm-hmm. space of possibility where we could think about doing new kinds of things and doing them differently and yep. Web 2.0, I mean, that was largely driven by smartphone adoption, from what I remember, and that right. was enabling all kinds yeah. of new new ways to connect. And now this whole thing of the blockchain and the sort of decentral decentralized technologies are are kind of seem to be opening a similar kind of space of possibility. 
Yeah. Which is going to probably close after a while. You know, it's going to close down. Yeah. Cement into something. Totally. And I I think one other um, thing I imagine us doing is um, taking multiple perspectives on these issues and also taking some critical perspectives, which I think is refreshing Um, because right now a lot of people who are working in the space, a lot of them are working on projects and they're very excited about their own project. Um, But it's hard to kind of take a step back and look at what we're doing as we're creating it, which is something like when we talk about web 2.0, it feels like we all jumped on the bandwagon and then now we're like, Oh shit, they own all of our data. Yeah. <laughs> you know, we like, so I feel like we have an opportunity, especially where things are at to communicate and iterate much more rapidly with one another as we're participating in these networks and to deal with paradox. So for example, um, paradox of these cryptocurrencies being decentralized, yet there's still the issue of governance, which is uh, some group of people who are have who have some influence on the network and not everybody is privy to that on a lot of these networks so how do we handle these kinds of um challenges yep yep how do we yeah like you said take a step back if we're participating in this space and think about you know how how we want to shape or inform it even if it's just something as simple as which tokens do i support do i want to own do i want to put my own value and attention and um, whatever form of wealth we have into. Totally. Yep. Hmm. Yeah. Um, so I'm a few of the other bullet points we have down here. Some of these were, I wrote down um, a few that you had mentioned. How do we organize ourselves? How do we create value and distribute that value? Yeah, which we kind of talked about there. Yeah, we talked about. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Um, let's see, do we have some more angles that we have been talking about or does that well i mean in a certain way you know i know we're going to be focusing mostly on the crypto space and this Mm -hmm. particular class of technologies that falls under like you said cryptocurrencies um, and decentralized apps and things like that but at the same time um you know it feels like to me that this movement is part also of a broader a broader process of unfolding in terms of our human yeah. networks our human systems yeah. and it's it's one dimension and it's right maybe it's like the one of the most interesting dimensions or right or there's so right. much going on but there's other dimensions to it and you know because of our background like being you know contemplative practitioners yeah. and really geeking yeah. out on the inner dimensions of our own experience, you know, I see some correspondence like in those worlds. And I think that's kind of interesting, you know, how, you know, for instance, in the last several years, there's been a rise in, in, in America and actually, you know, in certain way across the West and maybe even globally of, uh, interest in something called mindfulness. Mm -hmm. And, you know, that's a human capacity and quality that's arising at the same time that the so-called attention economy is arising. It's this whole emphasis on people training their attentions that's Mm -hmm. happening at the same time, interestingly, that suddenly our attentions are becoming the most valuable things that we have. Um, Mm -hmm. And so it's it's not that I can exactly draw the lines and connect all the dots on this stuff, but it's just just interesting to see across domains and across disciplines of human knowledge and experience, there are things happening that that are connected in some fashion and have have relationships to each other. 
Absolutely. Yeah. I mean, and, uh, I mean, we might, we can go ahead and just mention him cause we keep talking about how <laughs> we, we, he's been, uh, hearkening back to our days with reading Ken Wilbur. Um, and I know I don't want to nerd on that too much, but, um, yeah, who is Ken you know, Wilbur? the idea of Ken Wilbur, the, the philosopher, Ken Wilbur, who's, um, uh, he's most well known for his integral theory and, um, and feel free to jump in here if you want to give the and his bald head in his bald head <laughs> but one of the things he one of the simple models he has is the quadrants you know of different parts of our human life experience happening all simultaneously you know like i have my inner subjective experience happening at the same time that you and i are having this inter you know relational subjective experience at the same time we're having objective you know, realities happening, both systemic and kind of individual yeah. neurons you know. are firing in our brain and, and uh, yeah. cars are driving across the highways. Yeah. Everything. And, um, one of, uh, uh a tweet that I love uh, from one of our friends was, uh, don't worry, it's just everything happening all at once kind of thing. And it's kind of a funny way of saying it because like, yeah, like we look at cryptocurrency and it's sort of in that space, we're talking about like cryptocurrency almost being this agent that's acting on everything else, you know, and we're responding to it, but all these things are happening at the same time. And so I think like you're saying, it's going to be inevitable that this conversation extends much beyond cryptocurrency and, um, how is cryptocurrency actually more of a reflection or result of other things happening? It could be, you know, uh, these multiple perspectives happening all at once. Yeah. And it's, it seems like it's useful at least for us to try to step back as far as we can to see that picture yeah. sometimes or to feel into it because yes. it yeah um not just for its own sake of being like oh i see all the connections man <laughs> like yeah, right yeah just sort of mental masturbation yeah, of sorts like being yeah. on a trip about it but yeah but, absolutely but, but also because it's something about making connections uh in the network age is also really important actually linking things intentionally um, you know, that book that you yeah, mentioned, yeah. Ne Networkologies, you know, he Christopher Vitale, he breaks down the components of a network. And one of the components, one of the core aspects of a network are links, you know, the, the, the connections between nodes. Um, and so, mm. you know, by trying to step back and see them, the big network, you know, the, mm. like the network with a capital N, like the network that mm. is life uh, and yeah. all the life that we know. Yeah, you know that, and making connections there seems somehow really important. Um, yes, even if, if I'm not, you know, it's not clear what will happen as a result of those connections. Totally, yeah, and I think that leads to um, better responses around all these things that we're seeing and all the networks we're part yeah, of. Yeah, and taking into account more information from disparate places. Mm -hmm. Because like a yeah. network's only as good as as the information it has access to. Um, you know, right. if, if you're dealing with a really small pool of information and you're trying to build something that responds or to some that you know, if you're trying to build a model of the world and you only know one percent of <laughs> the world, you can have yeah. a model that's <laughs> pretty lame. Right. And that, totally. You know, it might be your idea of utopia, like oh, we're going to build this amazing network, but it. You know, for other people that the network impacts, if you don't take into account their reality or if you don't take into account the reality yeah. of the ecosystem or, you know, like Bitcoin's an interesting example of this where we've created this really interesting crypto network that 
relies on a huge amount of energy production in order to function. And in a way, and the argument has been made, well, how is this a sustainable project that requires more and more and more energy to be burned when really we're facing global climate crises that are all connected to the amount of energy that we use and the source of those and the source of that energy. Um, So it's like, you know, just being able to take a step back and hold those bigger pictures um, seems like it's needed in order to incorporate the insights that other, um, that other groups and other people and other networks have. Um, Mm. Not like it'll ever be perfect, but just, you know, it needs to get better. You know, it's like the whole move of, Bitcoin burning all this energy. Now, even in the crypto space, there's new models emerging, you know, called proof of stake, right? Where right. there's a shift toward not powering networks with tons and tons of energy. And that seems like the proper a proper kind of evolution of this space in response to those sort of ecological issues. Totally. Yeah. I think those, uh, the taking a step back is really important and it becomes pretty obvious as I watch more of the videos and I hear some, um, really brilliant people who are developing technology, start talking about all these political implications, you know, political systemic implications in a very sweeping manner. And I, and I always stop myself and I say, well, but how do you know (laughs) that that will result from what you're doing, whatever the claims they might have, or that it's even a good idea? You know, and just even you just mentioned uh, even one little slice of that pie about the energy consumption and these cryptocurrencies are dealing with a lot of different systems all at once. So there's a there's a lot yes. to look at. And, you know, something I think the, the point you mentioned about critique and being critical at times. Yeah, I think that's really important because yep. it's like the intention, I think, for both of us, like our deeper intention of criticizing something yes. isn't to put down the people making it no, um, because I know like when we, when we make something, you know, we're making this podcast now, we've both been part of making lots of projects, you know, you put your heart and your soul into yep. the thing. And so Absolutely. it's a beautiful thing. And, and, and people do need to do that and be, be in that position in that role of maker. But then other people yep. outside need to also with kindness and heart, and soul, you know, sort of point out the things that are missing so those things can get better if we really care. Yeah, I, I, absolutely. Absolutely. And coming from that perspective, it is all about caring and, and everybody working together to make things better, to say it simply, you know, and if we feel like we're on the same team, then criticism is in that spirit. It's just to say like, well, I want to help make this particular cryptocurrency or this network even more effective or better, you know, in some way. So yeah, we're definitely coming from that spirit, not to just cut down things. And that's the other thing. There's a lot of competition actually in the space. And so far I found it to be like, it feels like mostly healthy competition out there, but, um, people have their favorite projects and they have their favorite ideals that they run with and get, um, yeah. And, and, uh, champion, but, uh, I think it's good to take a bigger perspective like this. Nice. The other thing I was thinking about while we're talking about this is um, one of my favorite writers is a guy named Douglas Rushkoff. Um, he's a media theorist and based out of New York City. And he's been writing about the internet for, you know, decades now. And one of the, one of his, I think, really strong criticisms of um, 
Silicon Valley and the culture that represents, you know, the group of innovators who created these first couple of web bubbles and booms and all the technologies that we're now like living mm-hmm. off of that in a way they were trying to disrupt, you know, one industry after another, disrupt the music industry, disrupt the television industry, disrupt the communications industry and the phone industry, you know, all this disruption happening. But one thing he right. said is that no one really was looking at and has been serious, taking seriously the idea of disrupting the industrial revolution paradigm, like the kind of the, the whole mm-hmm. capitalist industrial paradigm that grew up out of the Western enlightenment and the seven and, you know, thinkers from the 1700s. Um, you know, it's like we, we're carrying forward mm-hmm. these old ideas into this totally new technological age and just trying to kind of um, use them to disrupt certain things without actually disrupting itself. And that's what makes me maybe most mm. excited about the crypto space or most hopeful is that it gives us an opportunity to also think about disrupting um, some of those collectively held assumptions we have about you know what all this is and how we yeah. should do it together and what is of the most importance and um, you know sort of deep, deep, deep philosophical and yeah. human questions. Yeah, really questioning the very container that it's all happening in of sorts. Um, So real quick follow-up question on that. Um, I mean, industrial age, I I know a lot of people are familiar with what that points to in general, but I don't know if there's a couple highlights of what he he's uh, looking at when he says that. And um, so I was curious if you could describe that real, real quick. And then also what do you see in cryptocurrency that's starting maybe to upend that, um, you know, whatever we might call it, attachment to the industrial model. Yeah, I mean, that's a good question. I mean, I think one of the things we talked about is kind of related to this. Um, his book, uh, Throwing Rocks at the Google Bus, is a really good overview mm-hmm. of, of that argument. Um, and it's based on the recent mm-hmm. situation in San Francisco where um, a lot of residents who are getting pushed out of San Francisco because it's too expensive um, started getting really upset and mm-hmm. they took all their anger out on a Google bus yeah. um, and started throwing rocks at this Google bus yeah. um, because it kind of represents the new digital um, you know, power structures there. And, mm-hmm. you know, so part of what I think he's pointing to is with the industrial age and the sort of economic models around it, uh, capitalism being kind of the main model is, you know, this idea that whoever creates something owns all the value therein, you know, that, that Uh, it's the person who takes the risk, the entrepreneur who really should own all of the value of what they create. Um, and should yeah. be able to decide, you know, unilaterally how to move forward with it's it's like it's kind of taking the it's almost taking the model of like yep. um the king, you know, and democratizing it some yes. so that uh, okay, if you if you're if you're a good entrepreneur, a good little king and you have your mini kingdom and you create your little your thing, you know, you you can rule over it and have all of the, you know, the good stuff um and then have all of these sort of followers mm-hmm. And people, you know, the peasants that owe owe you taxes and that you live off of. And it's almost like we took that model and broke it apart and then, and then sort of redistributed it so that anyone could be a king, except of course, everyone can't be a king. (laughs) 
Um, yeah, exactly. Yeah. And there's something I think probably, um, that was extra stingy about, you know, um, web 2.0 and Google and everything is that the messaging around it was so focused on, look what we can do for you. Look at how we can change your life. Like have access to all the information in the world. Like it has this idea of like really benefiting us and upfront it felt like that. It's like, Oh wow. Now I can connect to everybody I know on Facebook, whatever. And I can find information in the click of a button. But in the end, it's sort of like, oh, it did. <laughs> am I really part of this? Is this really f for my benefit uh, um, that much? Or is it much more benefiting the people who are behind it? You know, and I'm not saying like this is like um, was created with um, no. evil people behind it. It just sort of happened like that just happened. I think it was a collective thing. We all participated. People like Google, you know, innovated. And but the model behind it is what is probably problematic. And if we can change that model. And, and do things a little differently. Yeah, I mean, and I, I already see results. that happening in the crypto space where like one good example totally. is, and this is interesting to see how it's happening in different ways now, but you know, when, when new projects are started, they often do what's called an ICO, an, an initial coin offering, and they offer some percentage yeah. of the tokens in the network, which represent the value of the network. Um, for sale and then they yes. use the funds from that sale to help power the network and do different things uh, with the network and what's interesting is you know in a traditional yep. um capitalist industrial model you, you know you go to private investors or you go to venture capital firms if you need a large mm -hmm. amount of money um and you and sometimes you go to banks yep. and you borrow that money and then there's an expectation like i'm going to return that money plus a lot more so that this risk that you're taking with your wealth can kind of pay off. And so in that model, it, it mm -hmm. is really, um, it is really the investors and the founders of companies which own all the value monetarily in the network. And then everyone who uses the network, you know, yeah. they get to benefit from the net, you know, the, the utility of the network, but they don't get to share in the wealth yeah. or the value in the network. Um, and so right. the ICOs are interesting yep. in that there's a combination now of venture capitalists often investing in these ICOs, but then also normal people have invested in a couple of ICOs. Um, I, I had the great fortune yeah. of investing in the Ethereum ICO when it first started. Um, and so yeah. like, you know, yeah. put $500 into Ethereum when it first started. I mean, I would, I would never have been able to put $500 into yep. Facebook when it first started. Because I'm not, you know, I'm a registered investor yeah, that has exactly. like a market capital of, you know, I don't have a million dollars in the bank. So that's interesting. Right. Yeah. It's a, yeah, that's because that's an interesting model. The investor model, it's like only people who already have a lot of wealth and value can participate in innovative new projects. It's just like that's a wall. And uh, cryptocurrency and the ICOs offer that. And it's not saying that every ICO is great. We've seen some ICOs that, you know, maybe are like, eh, I don't know about that one. But that's okay. Cause that's happens with businesses, you know, um, as far as I can see, you know, some businesses work out and some don't, but that it's open to everybody, you know, regardless of your wealth. I yeah, like that too. shift Me too. overall. Um, it, it opens it up to the average person and, um, yeah. Yeah. Imagine if when Facebook was created, they'll say, Hey, we're going to give you a token and you're going to get part of this value of this network yeah, as it I grows. Mean, oh my gosh, you know, <laughs> it would be a different, different world Yeah, it would be uh, different being um, on Facebook. And hopefully that's, you know, we'll see a Facebook like that, that comes out and does that. And 
people value from the growth of, of the network they're on and can even have some say in the governance of that network yeah. and how decisions are made about it. Um, that would be, that's also kind of an exciting yeah. prospect with many of these um, crypto projects and what they're, where they're trying to, where they're trying to head. Totally. Cool. Well, um, it seemed like too, we wanted to talk a little bit about how we, a little bit about how we got into this space because it ties, uh, you know, yeah. the stories of how we got interested in the stuff and how we got into it ties back into these broader, right. bigger picture questions. Um, yeah. I, well, I think your story, I mean, your, your story is definitely the most entertaining. So, okay, uh, cool. And feel free to jump in and start add, with yours. Um, so, oh, yeah, okay. Yeah. Absolutely. So, so the story of how I got into crypto, uh, was sort of a tragic comedy in that, um, I was running this project Buddhist <laughs> geeks, which Ryan and I started together. Um, and that time, uh, we were, it's the summer of 2012 and we were just getting ready to host a big conference and meeting gathering. Uh, or maybe we actually, I think we just finished hosting one. And one day I go over to my computer yeah. and pull up BuddhistGeeks.com. And then I discovered that the site was down. I <laughs> dig into it, like, what's going on? Why is the site down? And I, I discover that I no longer owned the domain name, BuddhistGeeks.com. Um, it had somehow, uh, I, and I blame, I still blame GoDaddy to this day. Not, I, I will take no responsibility myself. But yeah. go, <laughs> it's GoDaddy, come on. <laughs> That's fair, um, That's fair. And... Uh, yeah, I found out that the <laughs> domain had lapsed, and the moment that it lapsed, because it had a pretty good Google Page Rank or whatever, someone sniped the domain. They grabbed it up, and a few, couple of days later, yeah. I get an email from this Ukrainian domain uh, domain address, and it says, "Hey, we have BuddhistGeeks.com, and uh, if you want it back, that'll be a hundred Bitcoin." <laughs> or actually, what they said is a, a thousand U.S. dollars, yeah. which at the time was about a hundred Bitcoin. Yeah, but hundred Bitcoin. And they and they bought the domain sort of fair and square, but they were they were doing that you know they're like hawks. They're sitting there watching for good domain names that come up, and then they buy them, and then they're gonna yeah exactly. Try to I mean, essentially, what I called them was these these were Ukrainian <laughs> domain pirates. <laughs> domain, yeah, <laughs> don't. That's a perfect so description. That's exactly what they, they were. <laughs> had captured my captured my domain and were selling it back to me, and uh, I think I may have just heard of bitcoin i know wired had done a piece on it the year before um but it really wasn't at that time this is five years ago now mainstream by any stretch of the imagination yeah and bitcoin the first block was mined january 2009 so that gives you the thing like it came into existence basically 2009 so you're talking about three years <laughs> three, three years later and yeah. so at that time um the process of figuring out what Bitcoin was, which I had to do because I didn't know what it was, and how to purchase it and how to send it and, and how to ensure that I'd get my thing back in exchange. I mean, it was a huge process. It took like a, a good week. And I remember having to go in and get like a money order and uh, I got like $1,000 in money orders and I had to mail them to this place in Florida that then deposited, I think it was the company's name was BitInstant, one of the first uh, <laughs> Bitcoin brokers. Um, they're now out of business. Um, and I remember the whole process, although it was so crazy difficult and there was so much, um, it was not an easy thing. It was clearly the technology was not, 
was not ready for the mainstream. Yeah, there was no Coinbase at that time. So coin, you can go on Coinbase right. right now and buy with a credit debit card. You can get some Bitcoin. So it was totally a different world then. And yeah, and now you have so many options as to where you want to store your your crypto. There was just like one or two wallets at the time. It's kind of hilarious that you were doing like a money order, like you had like papers to fill out or something. (laughs) You had to get Bitcoin. Yeah, (laughs) and I had to mail them. It was so archaic. You had to mail something. It was so clear how archaic it was. So anyway, I I go through that whole process. I get the Bitcoin. I get into my wallet. I, I worked out a way, an escrow service, so I could ensure that I'd actually be able to get the thing back. Yeah. I used this escrow service. And then, yeah, sent the Bitcoin, got the domain back. And unfortunately, I think the value rose or I put more in than I needed. I, I, I had like 10 Bitcoin left over that were just sitting there. Um, so that was kind of part of what kept me kept me into it and got me back into it because then, of course, later on, Bitcoin start, started to grow. But what what was so interesting about the that whole experience was although it was so fraught with challenges and there was so much difficulty in making the transaction there was still a really clear sense that i had afterward that wow this is a global digital currency like this is something this is like the internet for money yeah and it's so clear to me that that this could be the direction that things are heading because it fits the internet model so well. Yeah, and at, I just had that a clear sense. Oh, this could definitely be the future. I, I would I'd be willing to bet that this 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 will be the future, even. Um, and so you know that's when I sort of initially got into it and getting curious about it and you know starting to I, I bought a few more Bitcoin at that point. Um, Did you buy it? You bought some more in two thousand twelve. Um, I think it was maybe like the next year. Yeah, because I feel like uh, you when, kind of just forgot Coinbase about it opens. for a little bit. Yeah, you were just kind of like, yeah, okay, cool, I got exactly. this. <laughs> exactly. It was kind of on my mind, but I, you know, dropped it. And then and then I think, yeah, like maybe it was the next year or so Coinbase opened. Yeah. Um, I think that's the point that, that maybe you that you got interested in and yeah, you started to kind of check it out too, right? Yeah, totally. I mean, the, your whole fiasco with the, the domain was memorable for sure because <laughs> it was like, <laughs> what the hell? And I was, I was honestly really, really surprised that they gave it to you for that cheap. You know what I mean? Because it's like they could see the internet history and everything like that. I was like, you know, for dick domain pirates that's not bad <laughs> and it turned out to be nice that they uh that you ended up with some bitcoin from it um but i didn't really get too involved with it um i think further back in time i mean i'm an early adopter on a lot of things but on that stuff i was sort of just hanging back and i'm not i've never been a person with like a ton of money in the bank to go after like risky adventures um but um i think the kicker is i feel like one of our friends might have mentioned something about bitcoin maybe in 2009 or 10 i don't remember but i I have a feeling i tried to look through my emails to find out if how early i missed out (laughs) on bitcoin (laughs) just to to laugh at it um but yeah i waited like because i think you you were like okay this is kind of interesting i'm gonna be talking about it but then it was like 2014 and I have the chats from us in Google chat where you're like, dude, I think this is going to be something you were like much more convinced that this was going to be a thing. And I yeah. think you sent me a smidge of Bitcoin. I don't know if you even, if I even sent it back, I think you just gave me, you're just like, Oh, here's a 10th of a Bitcoin, which of course now is, <laughs> this is like a $400 friend tip there. Um, I don't know what I did with that thing. I think well, the thing was, I think I ended up buying some stupid coins like Dogecoin <laughs> at the time. <laughs> it was something like that. Um, 
But uh, so I got in a little bit there. I had like a fraction of a Bitcoin in 2014 and I bought a couple dumb coins at that time. And then I just forgot about it um, for some reason. I don't know why. Um, life. <laughs> yeah, life happening. And there, it, it was still new, you know, it, it oh, wasn't yeah. like crazy prices or anything. Um, and there was not that many cryptocurrencies. So it was super new. Um, but I, you, you were so hot about it and, uh, you, you sent me that little bit of Bitcoin. So I was like, well, how can I not get involved? Right. I was like, here, I just, I got on Coinbase, it opened an account and you sent me something. And I think Coinbase gave you a referral for it, um, for doing it too. Um, they were giving out 10 bucks worth of Bitcoin at, at the time. And I think they Which still was, do that. They still do that, but it just, but it, was, it's worth, it was, it's only worth, worth a lot more. Yeah. Back them. then it was like nice. Um, so yeah. And then I, I think then there was another little sp- spike something in 2015 maybe and um i think there was a spike and then there was a big there there was a big spike at a certain point um where it went up to like 1200 yeah there was a spike and then it and then it went down like i bought a little bit more of a fraction of a bitcoin thing because i was like okay now it's really starting to get some steam but then it went down some more you know like maybe i bought something at like 400 or something like that and then it went down to 200 i was like all right i'm just gonna forget about it and and uh, not look and then uh you had told me about Ethereum, which, oh man, that one's going to burn for eternity <laughs> when you've got <laughs> it on the, on the early thing. But I think I was burned by the Bitcoin thing and buying stupid coins. And I bought stupid coins on a stupid exchange back in the day where the CEO had like, I don't know, did some dumb stuff and it closed down and you just, I just lost the coins, which aren't worth anything today. So I didn't really lose anything. I lost like $10 or something, but I think I just felt burned. And so I waited a little bit. And then last December, I, I was hearing people talk about Ethereum some more and, and I saw how much growth was happening. I was like, you know, screw this. I'm tired of missing out on some of this stuff. And I know that this is revolutionary. And so I just put a little bit in and it turned out to be a nice little investment because um, things have really gone up this year. But it sort of took me a little while to really get on it. But then once I did this year, I could just feel everything. I'm like, oh, this is a legit um, big deal. There's a lot that's happening in a lot of uh, spaces here and I got to be a part of it, you know. Um, so I went to town on it this year and educating myself and just getting up to speed because I wanted to be, you know, a conscious part of it. So, yeah, and that, and, that's, and, that's kind of how that, the book you, you wrote recently came out because you were basically educating yeah. yourself so rapidly that, and then yeah. realized, you know, I'll tell your story for you. You realized yeah. that, uh, <laughs> <laughs> totally. Yeah. Yeah, but, yeah. But I mean, you, it was interesting to see you kind of realize in learning more about the space that most of the people who knew a lot about it were technical people, you know, engineers, yeah. people who could kind of understand what some of this technology was about and describe it. But, you know, technical people and geeks, they're not always the best at teachers and the best no. at describing in lay terms what something is. So, you know, that's, yeah. I think that's something important that you're doing now and it's an important time to do it, which is to translate the technical geek geek nerd language into easy to understand concepts so that people can yeah. engage in the space and do it in a way where they don't have to be geeks. You know, they don't have yeah. to be technical to understand the basic principles and concepts of, of what the space is and why it's important and how to, you know, if they want to invest in it, like, you know, these are things to think about and consider. Yeah, absolutely. I mean, even me doing my own research, trying to educate myself because there's a lot going on here and a lot of it's kind of, um, it's getting way better. You know, with something like Coinbase, it's very easy for somebody to on-ramp. Like you can be a newbie and you can get on Coinbase and be participating in a matter of minutes, you know. Um, but 
understanding everything about the space of the fundamentals, it took a lot of effort. And, you know, I consider myself fairly geeky. You know, I'm not a cryptocurrency developer geeky level, but I'm pretty geeky. And, uh, but it was, uh, it was kind of sweaty to figure that out. And I'm like, man, all these newbies getting involved too, that's going to be hard. And I think for this space to really blossom, it needs people who are not technical to be in it because they're going to make the stuff better. Like average Joe's Jane's people who are everyday users using this stuff is going to make it better, you know? Um, and people don't have to understand all of the underpinnings of blockchain in order to participate. The reason why an iPhone is cool is because it's easy to use and it like does a lot of neat shit, you know? So, and if cryptocurrency get that easy to understand, that'll be great. Um, but right now, it's kind of in between. <laughs> it's a little, a little bit of a tough space still, um, but getting easier every day. Yeah. So. Yeah. And that's, I think that's an interesting point to talk about, like, where is the space today um, from this sort of crypto mind perspective? Like what, what is it like right now? Yeah. And where I mean, might it go? Yeah. It's, I mean, I think it's, it's really at a transition bridge point, um, kind of one foot still in, um, very geeky territory like we've been talking about iota a lot recently and it's it has a it could be big um bigger than bitcoin even it's it's got some great technology behind it but even understanding it you and i are still trying to like unpack that at a geek level and what the hell does that mean so some of it is really hard for somebody who's not technical to to completely wrap their mind around um but a lot of it's becoming more accessible it's becoming more accessible to participate you know um to get involved and you know, the more that people are having relatable conversations, I think that'll, that'll help. So to me, it feels like it's somewhat of a, of a, it's, it's bridging over more and more into everyday space. Um, yeah. Yeah. And it seems like, you know, so many of the projects, like you mentioned, IOTA, Bitcoin in a certain way, like a lot of the projects are sort of, they'd fall under the category of like infrastructure yeah, they're they're sort of building right. out the 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 frame for some new thing. Yeah, so right, and if you talk about infrastructure, it'd be sort of like explain the internet to somebody, but the only thing you can talk about is uh, all the cables and and nodes and ISPs and stuff like that. Like the average person doesn't know shit about how the internet works. They know I got a computer and I can plug it in. And when I do that, then I can do stuff like get on Facebook and whatnot. But um, a lot of it is infrastructure and, you know, it's not necessarily super accessible just by the, by its nature. <laughs> yeah. And then there's some things that are, seem more like investment you know, yeah. vehicles like Bitcoin um, yep. that are kind of interesting in new categories of, of like value. Yep. Yeah, the payment ones, those are, it's no surprise that those are the ones that are getting a lot of attention because it's much easier to relate to. And I think that's a nice entry point for people is to like wrap their minds around something like Bitcoin or Dash or whatever. And even now, like on the newer, uh, new front of coins, like 10X, giving people a card, that's something somebody can relate to. It's like, oh, this is a card. I have one of these in my wallet already. And this means I can spend cryptocurrency. Okay, cool. I can make sense of that. Um, so there are some you know, practical applications coming out, but they're mostly around finance and payments. And yeah. That's what it seems like. Steemit is one example, you know, that's um, also relatable. Um, it's, I, I think it's a really cool idea. It's hard to know if it's going to be one that's, uh, you know, still around or the biggest one used, but it's basically kind of like a Facebook, Twitter, Medium 
kind of platform, you know, where people can write and they get, uh, they can write articles. And if people read it and like it, then they get some reward in the Steemit network for it. And then if you read other people's stuff and you like it, you can, um, when you like their things or comment, you can give them rewards for it. So the network and everybody participating in it, um, get, gets value from it. So that one's really easy to relate to. You can sign up for a Steemit account fast and start writing if you want. Um, so there's, some interesting stuff like that. I think there's a new one out too that's kind of trying to be a Wikipedia thing. And again, whether that's going to make people use that rather than Wikipedia, who knows? But it's easy to understand. Yeah. At least. Yes. Yeah. Yeah. And I mean some some of the big the big applications that people expect to be built on top of this new infrastructure are yeah. ones that are doing the job that other applications already do, but do them yeah. in a more decentralized manner or do them you know, kind of in this new crypto style. Yeah. And those, it's interesting, the more accessible kind of ideas, um, I feel in a certain way are going to have to really demonstrate why it's better for people because, you know, like, as we talked about earlier on Facebook, people are really ingrained in using it. And it's hard to just say like, okay, I'm not going to use Facebook anymore because all my people are there. So it's going to be interesting thing. Like how would someone switch to using Steemit or not? Um, right. Uh, but people are working on it and there are some advantages. Steemit makes a good example, I think, by saying like, we're going to give you value back, you know, if you get eyeballs on your, um, on your article, it's not just for us to keep. So I think some folks are creating incentives like that, that are easy to grok. Yeah. And then probably the most interesting stuff, which is still, you know, more than likely in terms of mainstream adoption, still, you know, still years out are, the things that no one's d- thought of before done yet that can right. run in the space and that will ha- that have the potential to be like the same equivalent size as a Facebook network or a Twitter network, you know, yeah. hundreds of millions or even billions of people participating in these networks. Yeah, totally. And, you know, some of the big ones, like we talk about IOTA and I, I mean, I, I personally really like IOTA, but I think it's also a great example because it's really different and, um, it's dealing with the internet of things. And, um, even if you don't fully understand what that means, everybody is now seeing little devices in their home that connect to the internet. So if you have, um, or connect to apps and things like that, like Nest thermostats and what are some other internet of things that people I mean, might have? And smart, smart lights, you know, the, smart lights, yeah, smart lights, smart refrigerators. Just anything with the term yeah. smart in front of it is by definition yes. like connected to the internet of things. Right. So we all are having more and more of these things and, um, oh, you know, Amazon Echo and basically Siri of sorts. I mean, it's part of your phone, but it's all hanging around. All these things are connected to the internet and they do different functions. So this is a whole brand new crazy thing. I mean, the internet's not new, but having devices all around of us that are connected to the internet and talking to each other, that's a big deal. And it's totally new territory. I mean, it's still really being figured out um, about how all that works. Um, And so IOTA is tapping into that and trying to revolutionize and, and create some cool ways that all these things talk and communicate with one another. So I think I I bring that up because that's to say that some really, um, innovative things are happening. Yeah. So some of the things are replacing maybe existing, um, apps like Steemit is doing basically a new version of medium or Facebook kind of thing. But some of them are just on a whole nother level of, and it's hard to even understand where it's going or what might emerge from it because it's so new. It's, we haven't done it yet. Um, <laughs> right. it's, it's, uh, uh, yeah. it's, it's crypto. 
Yeah, it's crypto (laughs) to us right now. Like it's it's hidden. Hidden. Yeah, totally. Um, Nice. Yeah. Yeah. Uh, Does this feel like a good place to start wrapping up? Yeah, I think so. I mean, I think we the point of this episode was for us to just hit on a lot of different angles of what we might explore. And I think with every episode, we we might have more focus or maybe we'll sprawl out like this again. But um, I, I'm hoping that everybody listening has a good sense of what this show is trying to do. Yeah, and we have a website um, that, as yep. of this recording, uh, isn't up. But by the time we release this recording, could be up. Um and will be up. Yeah. Let's, let's just go say it will be up. Uh, cryptomind.io. So if you want to check out the very simple website that we will be throwing up, um, we'll have yeah. more information there on like how to subscribe to the podcast. And, um, you know, if you're not already subscribed and, uh, you know, we're, we're sort of figuring this thing out as we go, but having done podcasts in the past before both of us, um, and for many yeah. years, you know, we know that if this is going to be successful, there's going to have to be one interest people actually uh, kind of yep. cu- interested in this topic. So please reach out, tell us what you want to hear about, tell us what you think yeah. we, we should explore given our kind of unique angles and backgrounds. Um, and then also we'll need support of some sort. So if you want to kind of help us in this early phase of figuring things out and, you know, having the time to record some of these episodes, um, I will definitely have a way for you to, to send us some, send us some love, um, crypto love or whatever form of love, uh, uh, you'd like. (laughs) Good. Yeah. I'm glad you brought that up because I was thinking about that. Yeah. And I, I think this will be really fun to explore. I think there's a lot going on to uh, going on here. So I'll be very curious to hear, um, what you listeners are, uh, thinking and feeling about this. And I love questions. I would love people to submit questions to us, uh, to prompt us, uh, to explore. Yeah. Um, and, uh, yeah, I mean, even, I mean, we might end up using SoundCloud, huh? Um, I know we can talk about it, but it, I think minimally we'll have the domain directing to something, yeah. even if it's not at a site, but to the episodes itself. So yep. that'll be cool. Great. Well, awesome. I think we, uh, we succeeded at exploring crypto from the inside out, at least this episode. Yes. Yeah. Awesome. Well, looking forward to more.